please note, this episode contains some strong language. Hi, I'm Lisa Kennedy and you're listening to The Bra and the Brave. This podcast celebrates the creative and the courageous. I am fascinated by those who are talented, forward-thinking and inquisitive. Sharing their stories, wisdom and everything in between, The Bra and the Brave is about people and their passions. So on to today's episode. (laughs) Oh, totally. Right, I think we're cooking the gas. Okay, pal. This is exciting. I will say that I am doing my first in-person recording in so long. I'm thinking that I might forget how to do it, but hopefully not. But I couldn't be doing it with a nicer person, for sure. I am joined by my pal, Kirsten McLean, director and writer. Hello. Hello, pal. Thank Thanks you so much so for having much me. so being here. This is just, like, so lovely to see you. Anyway, but the fact that we're recording this is, like, even nicer. Got a, 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 it's like a monumental day that I've had you in my house and I'm allowed to do this in real life. In somebody's house, sitting at the same table, talking, having a cup of tea and a biscuit. Nothing like it. A, a vegan biscuit? No, a vegan no biscuit, yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> Let it be known that Lisa Kennedy is very considerate of our guests and provides for all their dietary requirements. I did double check on the old like, Google just in case, you know. <laughs> Much appreciated. A delicious biscuit. And Listeners. you reciprocated by being an awesome guest and brought me lovely strawberries. We'll they actually right. like Instagram-worthy strawberries. Quite right, yes. <laughs> I might have to take a picture of them, (laughs) put it on the gram. (laughs) (laughs) So, Kirsten, we met this summer, Mm -hmm. and actually, I'll say this now before it goes out of my head, um, because I was thinking about you this morning, you will always, and I genuinely mean this, like, have a special place in my heart, because we did a project in the summer, and that was my first in-person project after I say after COVID, it wasn't after COVID, it was during COVID, but when we were first allowed to be in-person, and going into that as many people will know any situation going into person and and working and holding space for other people as much as that's a responsibility at the best of times that was like scary going into that and you working with you and that was my first time working with you you just made it like such a dream so thank you and likewise my sister totally um it was very scary doing that project and i think for us and for it was community projects Mm -hmm. the the participants yeah it, it was always going to be either a really good bonding experience or a, a disaster <laughs> totally. um, and so I it felt like we had a dead supportive team and that we all just I felt we worked really well together and produced sure I mean who, who knows what we've produced but we everybody get out their house yes. with their masks on they stood two meters apart and they contributed to the very best of their ability and it was just your energy from the get-go just making everybody feel like this is like it's so cool that we're getting to do this and this is going to be great and your oh. ideas are just totally welcome and valid. And obviously you would do that in any situation mm-hmm. that you're working but I think just particularly in that one where I'm sure the young people and some of the staff, including myself, would and yourself, mm-hmm. would have been feeling slightly like, oh, okay, what is this? And <laughs> not done this for a while and oh, we're all wearing masks. But I thought your, just your energy was brilliant and I just like warmed to you right away. As soon as we started, I was like, oh, this is good. I'm going to like this. Same, yeah, absolutely same. <laughs> so that's yeah. great. So no, thank you for that. And that's why I wanted to get on the podcast because we just had a lovely, like intense mm. three weeks of working together and getting to know each other. And, and then you just go, you don't have to really have lots of time to go. So what else have you done? And what else, and who do you know? And like, we didn't have any no. like, time for those conversations. So when you've got a podcast, you well, get to know that. So I guess like, I mean, I always go back in time, we guess. I think it's just like chronological is like mm-hmm. probably the easiest 
place to start, maybe, but like we were saying before we started recording, you were very much an actor. Yes. And yep. now you're, we're, we're, we're seeing a transition. So what was the kind of first impetus for becoming an actor and, and how did you get into well, acting? Right, well, I think it's got to be because my mum's a drama teacher, I would imagine. Right. And so from age, like... Um, and she was in the Amdrams as well. Yeah. She was in the St Mark's Players um, nice. in Ralston. Although we lived in Cardonald, not as posh as Ralston. That's where my mum was in the Amdrams. And... Um, and so I would, you know, I was going to the theatre in this church hall um, from probably the age of about six or something. Um, and then I'd be going to see school shows that she was doing. And then I got invited to be in one of the shows. It yes. was the iconic Men Should Weep. Yes. Um, and I got to play the character of Marina when I was in primary seven and my mum's in the St Mark's Players. And so I, I guess with that just being roundabout, you know, I think there's a lot of people in life who find themselves on the same career path as their parents because that's totally. what they see day to day. Mm. Um, and I, I remember going to see a thing in the old Anth- Athenaeum that my mum had had kids performing in and just, mm, it's hard to describe because these things, there's not uh, there's not a definition for what the feeling is, but just uh, seeing and being able to imagine what that's like to be on stage and telling the story and, and being in a, a beautiful theatre as well yeah. and knowing how I felt as an audience member being um, captivated and oaked deep in the story <laughs> and I guess just thinking I'd like to do that for other folk as well ah. um, so then I did youth theatre I did uh, Strathclyde Youth Theatre which was then called Glasgow Schools Youth Theatre yes. it was all musicals and I'm not a good singer at all but I was a not bad dancer not a bad actor and then I went to drama school but at drama school I did the course that was then called Contemporary Theatre Practice. Mm. So it was never, it was very explicitly not an acting course. It was all about performing and performing the self and writing your own material and performance art. And it was the very first year that course had ever run. And so, well, truth be told, I didn't get into the acting course that year. Uh The the RCS, the RSAMD as it was. Um, So I auditioned for both. And I still did want to be an actor. But I'm glad that I did that course in the end because mm. as well as all that stuff, we also got was a really strong strand on education. Probably the strongest part of it actually was learning learning how to d- deliver yeah. workshops dynamically. Mm. Um, and I did a bit of directing as well. And then when I left college, I, I, was, I got my first job when I was at the end of fourth year. No, halfway through fourth year, I did Beauty and the Beast at the Tron with Theatre Babel. Did you? I did, yeah. So wow. that's like 109 years ago. No. <laughs> It's, no 20, it's 20 years ago. Gosh. Uh-huh. So I did that. And that was kind of it then. I was like, right, now I'm an actor. This is what I'm doing. Okay. Um, and as acting goes, there are times when you're not working. Mm. Lots of times when you're not working. So in those times, I taught as well. So like we were saying, I sort of did all the primary school circuit, as it were, <laughs> before I could drive, hopping on a bus, away up to Easter House in the morning, down to Shawlands in the afternoon, all my materials in a... <laughs> <laughs> and a tote bag over my shoulder. Um, um, a bit of directing. I, I, I did directing maybe about a year out of drama school. I got the Arches Award for stage directors, which was this brilliant opportunity. That's insane. Yeah. That's so cool. Oh, looking back on it now, the budget you got a tiny wee budget and ah, you, you've awesome. got space in the arches and you What's make a show. Iconic place to have done anything. Oh, in, gosh. I know. And do you know I've said this actually about the arches. It's it's so sad 
that it, it's not yeah. there anymore because what a brilliant place and you were allowed to make what you fancied yeah. and yes so anyway so there's always been this bit of directing you know whether it's been directing school shows or community projects or wee films here and there and so just in the last few years as an actor I found myself often sitting on stage going see if I was directing this I'd maybe be getting him to do that or mm-hmm. if I'd written this I don't think I'd keep that but you know right, all that yeah, yeah, yeah. so you make a choice then in that moment you go well shut up and be an actor <laughs> give yourself peace or you go well go and try these things yeah, yeah. so that's what's happened and mm. for me when I'm directing that is when I'm in my flow I'm in my zone the time the, the, the time goes and I don't know where it's when yes. basically but as an actor I'm sitting in rehearsals going Wednesday break <laughs> been a whole hour since I know exactly <laughs> and do you think like obviously being around other actors and training around other people and, and it sounds like that course was the right course mm, mm-hmm. in the end because yeah, it yeah. sounds like you had the opportunity I'm not saying that you wouldn't have had that doing the acting course but it sounds like it was a bit more of a broad spectrum of things that you got to try and see before you decided what you were going to go Absolutely. out into the world and do but like being around other actors on jobs do you think that all actors are sitting there thinking I would do this differently or is, is there a very much like you see people actors who could direct and want to direct oh, that's interesting I'm, I'm sure there must be many folk mm. that's, I mean actors in green rooms love a good old bitch about what's wrong with the play and the, <laughs> the director and all the rest of it <laughs> so yes I'm sure I'm sure there are people that do that I, I imagine that Covid's making us all think outside the box about about what we're going to yes. do and so maybe yeah. folk will take different paths as well and I think it is like a, a trend there has to be some sort of like evolution transition like in any sort of career do you mean like that you and I think as a freelancer like I'm just talking from experience but you know you're you feel so lucky to have succeeded in any way shape or form doing what you do you know and you could just take all the work because it's coming in uh-huh. but then there's points in your career where you're like actually I need to like almost like coordinate this myself like I need to make the, the decision to make Absolutely. the leap or to not take that on because I want to take this on because that that is a directing job and I could mm-hmm. go and do that acting job and it maybe pays more or whatever yeah. but actually if this is the thing I want to do then I need to put myself in the space where it's happening that's, the that's scary yeah. too like I guess because like you were you know you were a professional actor working mm-hmm. succeeding mm-hmm. in that realm and to want to Going to not completely, it's not like you were going to be a welder, but no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm yeah. not saying you couldn't be a welder, I, mean, I might, that might be next, you know. <laughs> totally, there's a total flash dance story there. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, it is like another realm, but obviously, yeah. you just had wants and desires to, to explore that. The sounds of things, yes, yes. And I mean, not that I've been back to back with directing work since I made that decision, it was maybe about two or three years ago, okay. Um, and then we had COVID obviously mm-hmm. so I mean it's not it, it's not the career that I you know I have not completely arrived yet but I feel it's just one of those things you know you know when you know yeah. like as, a, as an actor I was always never quite in that flow that I was talking to you about yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah like when you know this is the thing that you're meant to be pursuing then mm. you just do it totally so, and I think like obviously directing you'll know and like being a theatre maker and like the, the, even the project that we worked on it is a different situation because you are in control and that you are mm. holding space for other people and there is a responsibility there but there's also a joy of like holding that space for the actors or the young people or whoever you're working with and just 
allowing that creativity to happen and exploration oh. and experimentation and your ideas like like literally playing playing and seeing what can happen in the space like yeah. it's so magical especially on community stuff that you know the journeys that you watch young people go on and a thing I guess I've learned and I'm sure you have as well over the years is when to just be quiet just shut up and let them go on with it invite their ideas um, and sometimes you know performer and professionals of course surprise you with where they're going to take the story or where they're going to take their character mm-hmm. in a d- direction that you would never have foreseen um, and there's one young person in particular I'm thinking about that we worked with in summer and this was a young person who was very quiet and then in this one scene that we had in the film we've got this you know this this big voice yeah. that suddenly came from so nowhere that's and the moments where you're like this is why you do it totally it's Absolutely. not about the finished product. I'm sure that'll be amazing, but it's like mm. these moments where somebody feels liberated and supported enough to use their voice or use their body. Absolutely. Or whatever, I mean, like, yeah, just yeah. be themselves. Whatever, it is. Uh-huh. whatever the new thing is that they've accumulated, yeah. that now they're able to do that. And that two weeks ago, two days ago, they would never have dreamed no. of it. And it's like they get they get what the joy of making art is as well, if that's not too pretentious. No. Which they, they, out of shyness or who knows what, they were mm. reluctant to explore. And then you're like, you know what it is now. You know what it is. Yeah, <laughs> so, get you in the club. But I think, so, because especially working with young people, sometimes you can go, even, in fact, I say that, even with adults that are not, like, trained professionals mm-hmm, or whatever, mm-hmm. like, sometimes you're enthusiasm when you get into uh, class. And you're like, <laughs> right, everybody, we're going to have a brilliant time. But you can just see everybody's face like that. Are I? Like, <laughs> so it's yeah. like getting folk on board. And then the minute you, like, you're saying, you see that wee moment where they're like, Get this, like, yes. It was worth it all that time. I was just coming yes. in with my big smile. Because sometimes you see those see your faces, and you're just like, "What? Why? Actually, why, why am I speaking? Because nobody wants, nobody wants me here." And you're like, "Well, why are you here? You know, but these are all the demons. I mean, from yes. uh, from every job that I've ever done, day one. In fact, every morning I've got the jitters. You know, a wee bit of the nerves. How's this going to go today? Am I am I going to meet the expectations? Am I going to give these folk what they need yeah. to, to to move to the next stage?" I worked with a great group at the RCS called the Third Age Data Company and they are people who are age 55 and over so some are quite significantly over that age and that is one of the best groups that I've ever worked with for that because I suppose there was something in me as well that was coming along going how these are people with wealth of life experience that I can't even imagine and also sometimes when you're working with an older group there's a bit of cynicism there can I see not? I've seen all the drama groups and all this. Pass True. the clap and all that. You know, <laughs> pass the clap. I'm um, telling you this now. I'm not holding hands before. Exactly. All, <laughs> all of that. Um, but I've learned as well that <laughs> when you're met with these this sea of faces that look as if they'd rather be anywhere but here, that sometimes that's not what folk are actually thinking. Yes. Sometimes that's just their concentrating face or they're just face you're having a nice time. Exactly. But. So true. That's not going to happen. No. So anyway, so so that group was great because it really challenged me because this group would ask difficult questions. They would really want to get to the heart of the work. Mm. The life experience, as I say, was just, I mean, you kind of buy that, you know? Yeah. Uh And when you've got a group of 14 year olds, it's just, with all due respect to them, they have not lived 70 years. No. But that's like the nice thing about the, like Mm. you do have the opportunity to work with young people because you do learn from young people. Absolutely. all the time but then yeah, you have yeah. the opportunity like you're saying to then the next month be working with a group 
of people who are over 70 who mm-hmm. have got that life experience and you're just soaking it all in and you, well you should be and like that's it kind of harks back to what you're saying about the listening thing yeah. like sometimes you just need to like stop and like take it in and like you're okay you're holding this space but you're not the be all and end all no. like it's your job to really absorb what your participants are giving you that's right yeah yeah always I'm always about putting it to them and letting them have the the ideas for the story the ideas for the character but also I, su- I suppose it's a balance isn't it maybe it's like 60 40 and that 40 percent from me is shaping things holding the space offering the technical advice yes. about what you do with your voice and your arms and <laughs> yes. all the rest of it yeah um, and I, I suppose that that's in a way what they're there for as well is to learn that skills based stuff yeah yeah um, see it's all it's all about collaboration it's yes. a, every single project you do is absolutely the sum of its parts and that's the people it's the environment it's the person that works like on the front desk because actually so nothing true. to do with the creative process but it's to do with the process the yeah. journey of the show of course it's whatever the landscape is you're you know what what street are you walking down to arrive in the rehearsal room all that stuff yeah and it's been aware of that and taking that mm. like taking that all in and being open just to like your mind being changed or your ideas being changed like absolutely like, I did a talk this week um, and that's what I was saying like you can come in with all the ideas you can come in with the plan and there'll be there'll be a preferred way of doing something mm-hmm. but actually see a hurdle see a roadblock as an opportunity for you to do something that would never have happened otherwise you just wouldn't have come up with that idea had it no been for the halls to be the Janice station that you booked but, do you know what I mean like, that's it that's absolutely I mean? like, just like that that twister mm-hmm. turn of fate or whatever it is do you know what I mean like things happen somebody says something you're like what did you just say mm-hmm. and you just need to be open to that and see that as an opportunity not as a oh, my plan's not working and uh, I didn't absolutely. I thought this was going to be and you can mourn the disappointment of certain things for a bit but you just go over it yeah you do yeah and you have to find the joy in the restrictions and like you say like that, that that is where that should have been the message for confidence <laughs> Gosh, I really did for the first month. Sometimes me and my partner think back and go, that first month of lockdown was just lovely. I was pregnant at the time as well. That's right, so, you yeah. told me this, this is it. Oh, yeah, yeah we, were just, we didn't need to speak to anybody, we just sat in our house, it was amazing. <laughs> you were taking all the joy. Yeah. So anyway, yes, join the restrictions. Yes, yeah. that's it. Um, I practice Buddhism as well. When you brought your book and gave us a quote in the morning. Oh, that's right. I was like, yeah. I like this person. <laughs> Forgot. I, I, that was one of those things I intended to do every day, but I think I did it once or maybe twice. Shared a Buddhist maybe, quote. But it, it was lovely, yeah. and, I, and and it was so lovely because everybody in the room really like appreciated it. Well, I hope so. I mean, it's I hard to say under the masks. Did, I think yeah. like there was yeah. nobody looking like awkward or like what's this about? Like I think you set you don't need to set the scene. Yes. For the space being like but that's right. Yeah, I think that's really important. Actually, uh-huh. the minute you step in the room. That's you're setting up the day, aren't you? Yeah. Anyway, so in Buddhism, that's what we talk about a lot. Is we've got this phrase which is turning poison into medicine. So it's like when that really shitty thing happens, then it, it's you you that's that's the poison, right? And it's not that you go well. Let's put that to one side and try and find what the good thing is. No, you actually have to go right through that and t- you make that very thing, that very shitty thing, the actual cause for the good thing. And that's easy to say when it's the Janice says we've got to be it for nine o'clock, whatever. Mm. It's harder to say when it's a frightening diagnosis or you've lost your job or something. But I think that's, for me, that's where the faith comes in. That anything, absolutely anything can be a source for creating value or creating happiness. I love that. Where did 
the Buddhism come into your life or when or how? Well, it came into my life about nearly 11 years ago. Um, I was doing a show that I wasn't really enjoying. I was performing on a show um, and I wasn't enjoying it at all. And my cousin was getting married in Australia at the time that I was doing this show. Mm-hmm. And as young actors do, I said, no, I will do the show, this three-week contract, barely equity minimum, okay, and I will not go to my cousin's wedding in Australia, for which my mum and dad were going to pay my tickets. Right, as a woman, around about 40 now, we're like, go to Australia! Which but I'm with you. I know! But at the time, I was like 20, whatever, 9, 30, whatever I was, young yes. enough to go, I'll do the job. So... I stayed and did the job and I was not enjoying it and I kept thinking my sister all these photos getting sent by email my sister my cousins all having a wonderful time Um, and I met this person that I didn't really know very well called Helen Devon who used to be an actor um, and has become like one of my best friends in the world and I was just having a bitch to her in the bar about this show that I was doing and I was like I mean what do you do and she went well this is probably not for you but what I do is I chant I'm a Buddhist and when I'm in situations that I don't like or need to change then I chant about it and I was like oh that gives me the dry bulk absolutely (laughs) (laughs) who would chant Um, so I was like thanks very much Helen that's great I'll maybe try a bit of meditation or something instantly sort of put it to one side Mm -hmm. so I feel like mystically Buddhism came into my life three times before I properly took it on the second time it came into my life was I went to somebody's funeral and it was Liz Lockhead's husband had passed away. Um, and he was a Buddhist, I didn't know this. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that funeral, there was Buddhist chanting. And I was touched by it, really mm-hmm. moved by it. Um, and I thought, but still, that's all right for them, but that's mm-hmm. not quite for me. And then the third visitation was that um, I was going to my pal's birthday party and it was way up in the Highlands somewhere. Um, and I had to drive up with another pal that I didn't really know that well again somebody I didn't really know and she was a Buddhist and I was like right we're stuck in this car for two and a half hours together whatever it was I was like just bloody just tell me all about (laughs) it then tell me all about it and she did sure enough and by the time I got to the destination of the party I was like right this is for me I'm going to try it and I organised to go to a meeting I mean this was the weekend then on the Wednesday night I went to my first Buddhist meeting and that was it I've never never looked back I mean there's it's, it's not that you become with this Buddhism it's I don't know if you've seen Tina Turner's film What's Love Got To Do With It but years ago yeah it's the Buddhism that she practices oh wow right yeah. okay so we chant Nam Yo Ho Renge Kyo yeah. I remember this from the film I remember the film it's Tina's bloody life I forgot about this yes so so yeah so it's not like once you start chanting Nam Yo Ho Renge Kyo then your life becomes all you know roses and happiness yeah. and everything's fine it's that when those when those obstacles come along when that poison comes into your life you're much better equipped to deal with it okay we're encouraged to chant about anything we like and sometimes our buddhism gets a bad rap because some people use it for it as a sort of i'm going to chant for it and i'm going to get it and it works you know i've chanted for a sideboard with the exact measurements that i wanted it to be and for it to cost under 50 pound and the next week i got that exact sideboard <laughs> okay but that's not the stuff that brings you lasting happiness <laughs> i mean i was i was getting there but now i'm like right <laughs> you got mid-century oh my God, gee, like i'm <laughs> fine so i'm just going to come my way all of a sudden if i buy into this well there you go someday i know helen devon actually chanted for take that tickets 
you know, when it was hard, <laughs> she couldn't get through in the helpline. She's like, I'm just going to chant about this for 10 minutes. Came back and she did. And these are brilliant things. These yes, are proof. Like you say, not necessarily going to be your last It's happiness. not your last in happiness, no. Um, I, would read, I read a wee Buddhist quote to myself every morning. Um, and the one today was about the three kinds of treasure. There are treasures of the storehouse, mm-hmm. which is like your sideboards, your take that tickets, the physical things. Mm-hmm. Um, treasures of the body, which is your health, basically, mm-hmm. and all that. And treasures of the heart are the most important. So that's the order they go in. And the treasures mm-hmm. of the heart is just like the wisdom to be able to deal with things as mm-hmm. they come up. And, and relationships and love and making connections. and I think it's... It's important that you've got something in your life that you can go to when in any situation. Yeah. So enjoy and like sorrow and like stress. Totally. Like, and yeah. I really admire anybody that has that in their life that's got that like almost like, like that discipline like you're saying you read a quote every morning, like mm-hmm. you'll be like, That's not a discipline, that's just a thing I do, but it, it almost is because you've you've trained yourself yeah. like that you need that in your life, it's good for your life, so mm. you make sure you it's like drinking water, do you know what I mean? Like yeah. you drink five glasses of water a day I'm like that's really disciplined like because <laughs> I don't drink enough water but I think like you found this thing that's you you feel that you need and it enhances your life and but it also enhances the other people around you then clearly that's it yeah well another Buddhist principle sorry it's become a Buddhist podcast no, I'm, so I'm like literally I'm all here for it I'm like I'm, I okay. want to know more like I want to go on a car journey now so that we can so, <laughs> so we can, you can get that sideboard oh. that too can be yours no, I don't, I'm not that fickle but I mean I mean I'm doing my kitchen up the so. so I mean well this is the ideal time <laughs> no but yeah. I think it's it's just it's dead I, I want to say dead cool as if it's like some trend or something. Yeah. I know it's not. I, I genuinely think it's it's really. I, I really admire it. Well, yeah. I mean, it, it's a philosophy for me. It's a philosophy that covers everything. There's no rules. Mm-hmm. All we, all we're doing when we chant Nam Myoho Renge Kyo is to manifest the qualities of the Buddha, which are courage, mm-hmm. compassion, wisdom, and life force. So that's it. Nice. Basically, I mean that's the beginning and end of it. Really. Um, so yeah, what I was going is you were saying about it affecting everybody in your life. Yes. It does because we're all connected. We're all yes. we call it interdependence in Buddhism. Okay. And um, the the self is reflected in the environment and vice versa, which is what what we were talking about kind of in a show. You know, when you get into that zone in the show and somebody's like, "I saw this program the other night," and you're like, "I had that idea about that thing as well." And somebody else goes, yes. "Man, it does that. Bring it in." You know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's be, that's because we're going into that. We're, we're, we're um. We're, we're creating value together. We're seeing mm-hmm. the value in each other's lives, and we're drawing out these qualities of of that unity that exists in humanity and our environment. Um, yeah. And do you think becoming a Buddhist really influenced your work? I mean, obviously, it influenced your Big life, time. but Big yeah, time. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. How could yes. it not? I guess. Do you know what I mean? Because you start to embrace these principles, and you're like, these are the things I believe in. So I'm, they're just going to infiltrate every aspect of my life. Totally, yeah. I mean, it, it's the foundation of, of my life. It, before before I start the day, mm-hmm. I'm down chanting for, okay, ideally an hour, but mm-hmm. sometimes 10 minutes. Fair enough. And then rushing at the door or whatever. But, so I chant first thing in the morning and I chant last thing at night. And in the morning, you're setting yourself up for a good day. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you want everything to go brilliantly. But if it doesn't, may I find the resilience within myself to get through it and none of it's about an external god none of it is it's you we, we don't you know i don't have a buddha statue in my mm-hmm, house mm-hmm. because the belief in our practice is that that there's a temptation in that you start to think the buddha's outside of me the buddha's not outside right. it's it's within 
Yeah, so that what, makes sense. We chant a scroll, it's called the Gohonzon, um, and it's the the founder of this Buddhism created these scrolls back in the 13th century and it's basically it says Nam Yoho Renge Kyo down the centre and Japanese characters mm-hmm. and it's so that's the essence of the law of life so every morning you look at that and round the edge of it is like not everything else that feels brilliant in life you know demons mm-hmm. and uh, wee shitey things that can go wrong each yeah. day all the little things that can throw you off your course mm-hmm. we know so when we look at that scroll we recognise all oh, that's going on but right down the middle of it is my Buddhahood and my belief basically mm-hmm. in the law of cause and effect what I put out yes. then that's what you get back in it comes back yeah, yeah, cause yeah, and effect yeah. so uh, I don't know how I started going on about that but I think it's fascinating yeah so the Buddha's within. That's it. It's no. It's no external. Yeah. That's just to help you concentrate to look at that thing. That going. That that just totally. So I don't. I didn't know you were a Buddhist. But mm. Although you had that book and you did. Yeah. So it, and the, that poem was a Buddhist poem. There was a poem. Oh, that was lovely. That I shared with the yes. cast and gave it out to them all at the end. I always that try to okay. sneak it in. Yeah. <laughs> and that's just totally that. No, it's all like knitting together for me now. Because uh-huh. like yeah. when I met you, and then that first day of working with you, I was just like. Obviously, you go, oh, this person's really good at their job and I like them and I think I'm going to work with them well. But I also was like, like, Kirsten's a good person. And oh, I just got oh. that energy about you. And this, this is like, I'm like, oh, yes, she is. This is, he's a blooming Buddhist. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But like, there was no, nothing about you that's like super. So you weren't going about going, I am a Buddhist and you all should believe no, this. No, no. There's nothing like that. No, like, no, and then we're going no. to go on to veganism. And again, there was this, <laughs> it was the same vibe. Like, we were just chatting and you were, we were just talking about it. And, you're just like seemed like such an authentic person like you are living authentically yourself you're not going i'm doing all these like really good things that i'm showing off about that's not the vibe like i just got like that's right for your life and you found these things that are important to you and that's what you're pursuing and that's really like i really admire that oh thank you and i know it's not right for everybody's life it's not right to go around and say you must be a Buddhist, it's the only way. Like Helen Devon did with me. She didn't say, you must come to my house right now and chant and send yes. me all these books and pamphlets and all the rest of it. <laughs> she just left it hanging there. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's what you see. I mean, part of our Buddh- Buddhism is that we share the practice. Mm-hmm. I know sometimes for folk that rings all the Mormon bells and the Fair enough. guys that chant the door. <laughs> right. Yeah, but we're, we're, we're not doing that. We're, the, what you see is that this is what... This is what the mystic law is, the mystic law of cause and effect. Mm. It's there for you. And I believe there's other ways you can access it. You don't need to chant Nam Yoho There's The mystic law exists in the universe and different languages will have different names names for it, different cultures, different planets. Oh. <laughs> I don't so, know if this podcast can handle that. <laughs> no, maybe we'll cut, cut that. <laughs> but yeah, like I th- that's just the vibe that I got from you that you're somebody who... Like, you know yourself very well mm. and that you've, like, honed in to what's important, like, your values. Yes, yes. I was, I've been thinking about this, actually. Um, I think there's things in your life that do that for you. For me, Buddhism has helped me to be alert to them. One of my tendencies from mid-teenage years has been to be angry about injustice. Mm-hmm. Whether that's, like, homelessness or a massive global issue or a teacher spoke unfairly to me in the classroom and I know that that's not how it's meant to be done so there was a a time in my life and all the way through drama school actually I was kind of known as a really angry person just like raging all the time yeah um 
and over the years, maybe it's a combination of things. Maybe it's like growing up and out of your twenties and your thirties and forties. Maybe having two wanes, but I think also having my Buddhist practice mm-hmm. is like okay. So that that is that is an essential part of my character. Mm-hmm. I spot injustice and it I can't let it sit. Yeah, and maybe not every injustice. You know, there's there's maybe I think each of us have got our thing. For some people, it's animal rights. For some folk, it's for me, it's trade unionism and yes. the, the work, the rights of the worker. Absolutely. Um, and I, th- I think that yeah, we've, we've all got our thing that presses our buttons, um, and also all our all our negative traits like that. So you could argue that me being angry and shouting and bawling at everybody never really changed anything. At the time, people were just like, "She's an angry. When is she going to go off now? What is it going to be about?" Um, but there's an enlightened aspect of that. So you take your anger and go right. So instead of just shouting and bawling at folk, can I make change? Mm. And so now my thing is. I know what the change is that I want to make and I'm going to do everything within my power to achieve that. And sometimes I do, and sometimes I throw everything at it and it doesn't change. But at least you've tried. At least you've tried, exactly. Um, Yes, your best. Um, And we have this theory as well in Buddhism. I mean, I'm saying we've got these theories in Buddhism. They're like humanistic theories that exist for other philosophies as well. Hmm. Not that Buddhism's bags in the whole lot of them. Maybe Buddhism thought of them first. I don't know. I mean, just saying. Just saying saying legs. Um, but yeah but you know when you plant the seed so Mm -hmm. maybe some of the things that that we do now to try and make the world a better place or create value or help folk become happy maybe they don't maybe we don't even see it in our lifetime Mm. Um, plant trees that you want See growth exactly. the phrase. Uh, yeah, 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 that's it, isn't but it? I think as we li- we live in a world that's that's very difficult for people because we're so used to the instant gratification. Like you just talk totally. about social media, do you know what I mean? No. Like that's why we love the likes because it's like you get a wee hit of dopamine every time well, somebody likes a post. Mm-hmm. And we, we we probably do struggle to to think long term, like beyond our own selves, to be like, what can I do? Like I mean, because obviously the issue of climate change was what we were focusing in. Mm-hmm. When, when we were doing that project in the summer and um, you know for a lot of people they'll just be like ah, nah, that's not something I can deal with like that's that's. <laughs> I mean what can I do to fix that do you know what I mean like just me and it, it's important though like yourself like w- what you're saying like that just because you won't necessarily see the change instantly or you might not see it at all, all doesn't mean yeah. that you shouldn't do it like think of the bigger picture like you're leaving a legacy that's it yeah but we're all we're all here to be happy, essentially, uh-huh. yeah. and to maybe make small improvements in mm. a world that is difficult. But I think you can even boil that down to like just being in the room. And so you're talking about the folk with the faces like fizz that are maybe not necessarily on board. Uh-huh. You might not have a an impact there and then yes. with your energy and your positivity and your encouragement. But like when they go home that night, they might remember something yeah. you said or did. And then it'll land and it'll make them feel better about themselves. Just lead with kindness in That's anything it. that you do. Whether it be the acting, the writing, the directing, like the yeah. going to the supermarket and buying stuff that's no wrapped in plastic. Like just lead with kindness for yourself, for the people around you, for the world, for your fellow human beings. Like because, yeah, like life can be hard. That's right. And we're all susceptible to suffering. Mm. Every, every single person's got the same desire. I want to be happy and not feel crap. Essentially, so true, so um, true. So I think we should just all admit that that's really oh, all that we want. So like, we is. don't need the sideboard necessarily that fits <laughs> in the space. It was very handy that sideboard. Absolutely, <laughs> but we just we just don't want the same thing. Do you know what I mean? So <laughs> it's like a common goal, guys. Like we're actually all like striving for the same thing. Totally. But, but yeah, the world is 
that is displaced in a lot of ways. I think just people's mm-hmm. energy towards what they think is, in, but it's more yeah. just it's like an unguided thing because people just think that stuff stuff is going to make them happy. Or do you know what I mean like there was something else you said earlier on? And it did take me to a day that we were working together, and about, I hope you don't mind me bringing it up. But like mm-hmm. I think you admitted to, to me one morning just in passing, you said something, and then you said and I said something, and then you said, and I was like, oh thank God, and you said that that imposter. Yes, thing. I remember that morning. And I was yeah. like, so again, that was another moment. I was like, no, no, I actually just, I'm really on board with you. Now. Totally. Like, it's, it's so, great it's so important for people to be honest, like mm-hmm. that we're all just wanting to be happy. And also that we feel the imposter syndrome. And it does come up a lot so in this podcast. I'm talking to a lot yeah. of performers and people who are putting themselves out there in the limelight and being mm-hmm. freelance and all that stressy stuff. But it, it really comes up in the moment when we're yes. doing the thing and everybody's kidding on that we're all dead confident totally. and the fact that you is that is that just is that something that you just feel I feel it a lot before before the young people come into the room uh-huh. it's have I got any business being here am I the, am I the correct one to be carrying them through this crucial two weeks of their life I mean everything becomes massive isn't it so like get in there for two three weeks have I, have I given everybody the correct role that they should so have? True. Is this the best thing to help them grow their lives? Um, <laughs> and and yeah, am I the person to do it? And you know, I get it. Sometimes I'm in the room and I'm like, oh, we're cooking with gas here. You know that way you can just feel sure. everybody's on it. They're simmering away. The the materials getting generated left, right, and centre. And there's other days where you are maybe even half an hour later, half an hour mm-hmm. earlier, where you are wading through treacle, going, every person in this room hates me. I've got no business here. Um, I hate the sound of my own voice. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I could go on. Like you know, you know what I'm talking totally. about. Totally. And the thing is, it's the story you tell yourself. It's, you know, like, you'd never speak to MD else like that. You'd no, never you say, like, no, no, your, no. your voice is a riot. Like, why are you talking? Mm-hmm. You've not got a clue. You've made a mess of this. You would never say that to MD else, but it's these wee stories you tell. What, what is that about? I think it's interesting because I think I didn't always even admit it to myself that I had it. So back in the day where I was trying to just appear uber confident mm-hmm. at all times, but inside sort of shaking like a leaf, that's the times that have been most painful, actually, where I've not been able to just own up to it. Yeah. Um, and what's happened now is a kind of acceptance of alright there's that wee voice again so the wee voice is saying every person in this room hates you and you're terrible thank you, thank you wee voice for giving me that the thing is I'm in this room now I, I can't walk out <laughs> yes. I'm in the middle of this treacle I just need to keep walking mm. the only way is through and I'll come out the other side and we'll do a different exercise and it'll be fine in two yeah. weeks time everybody moves on to the next project including the young people and nobody died nobody died nobody, and everybody learned something but, I mean I think you can I think through every experience in your life you learn something and you know you're talking obviously there's there's been a transition in your career and there's been highlights and things that you were you were focusing on because you loved that or yeah. that felt right at the time with the mm. acting and then you moved into directing that feels like something that you're focusing on now and writing as well because I think yeah. we had a conversation one day sitting on the grass at lunchtime yes. and you, you'd said about your writing and I was like oh my god you should totally do that like I'm always like telling everybody else to do stuff whereas here I am with all the ideas and no day in it <laughs> you've got a podcast well I but there are other days in the week that I could be doing stuff that I'm thinking about that I'm just no but uh, yeah like I just uh, there's obviously other areas within your career that you have explored and maybe want to explore mm-hmm. more have there been particular highlights or pivotal moments where you're like 
that's what I want to focus on now and that's the reason why because I did that job or I met that person I think one of the triggers for triggered in a good way for um, thinking about directing as a full time gig was I worked in a Vanishing Point show as an actor and Vanishing Point for me are just a sublime theatre mm. company their work is beautiful I think Matt Lenton is a very wise theatre maker and director and acting in a show like that, that that was one of the rare moments where I wasn't too much thinking if I was directing I'd be doing this and that although of course I did think that a wee bit because you do um, so uh, whole, holding space as we say for that kind of work to happen that inspired me to, to think that's, that's, that's the role I would like to have Working at RCS as well, I do a lot of that short courses stuff yes. so with adults and one of the things that I did was the, it was called Acting for Camera, mm-hmm. in brackets, comedy. So it was an adult class and I'd never taught Acting for Camera, I'd worked in front of the camera mm-hmm. myself, I'd never been on the teaching side of it. And so by the end of this project, each person in the class was to have like two minutes on film where they were in a scene maybe two scenes okay and I thought well see if you add all that up that's actually like 15 20 minutes of a film mm. why don't we make a short film I thought to myself instead <laughs> um so that journey just happened quite naturally and I had a had an assistant in the room with me he was I'm saying assistant he was a camera operator he was mm. essentially the director of photography so he was he was a newly graduated student he's like of course I want to make a short film yes. so the two of us made this decision um, and started filming it and of course all the hours got clocked up and he had to do all the edit and all the rest of it um, but but teaching that class was what made me think I'd quite like to direct mm. a, a a proper film on a piece of telly so I mean that again that, that class ended up writing their own script um, somebody was able to play the guitar so we had a bit of music in it and a bit of piano in it as well <laughs> they invented a song I mean it was it was beautiful it was it was just a really lovely experience so from then on thinking about being a TV or film director has really appealed to me and I've kind of mm. looked into that as well there's a two year course that you can do okay. um, to direct uh, television it's in London it's not a possibility for me at the moment so this is a thing that I can chant about as well ah. and in the past I would chant I want that course I want to find a way to be able to do that course and that's that but now what I chant is if that is right for my life let me find a way to be able to do it financially mm-hmm. being in the right place at the right time all that kind of stuff I'm not really interested in writing uh, my own scripts for television and then mm-hmm. directing them much more interested in taking somebody else's script. Fair enough, yeah, yeah. So quite soon after, I made the decision to direct. And sometimes the universe tells you when you've done the right thing. Like three or four directing jobs all came at once. And one of them was directing Alan Bissett's play, Do Not Press This Button, at the Oran Moor, which was a professional gig uh, with professional actors. And that, I really just had that joy of working with somebody's writing that I loved. So yes, more of that. Mm. And um, specifically earlier on, you were saying about, and I feel like I said, I I, I gave you a reaction that I'm, I was judging myself the whole time for afterwards when you said, oh, I used to be an angry person. I went, oh, as if like anger was a bad thing. And I'm like, well, it's not, because it's just an emotion. So yeah. sorry well, if I reacted no, like, in a way all. like I was judging you. Um, but obviously it sounds to me like you feel like you now take that anger and put it in a more positive place and say, oh, like a proactive yeah. 
place. Absolutely. And when you did that look, I was extremely flattered because it seemed that you were slightly surprised that I used to be pure raging. Oh, is I? And that because that's me, not like you're so chill. And that well, do you know this? Like, speak to anybody that knew me twenty years ago, and they would be. They, they wouldn't believe it, basically. Wow. Yeah. I see you as a passionate person. Mm. But, but yeah, well, I would be surprised. I was surprised when you were like, I was an angry person. <laughs> I like that. Because <laughs> I'm like, you're such a positive, like, chilled person. Oh, I get absolutely raging about things. Mm. Um, but not such a bad thing. It's People not, need the world to be raging yeah, about things. because nothing would change if you weren't absolutely raging. Mm. And, you know, the suffragettes were absolutely rightfully raging and they made so a change. True. They did. So, I mean, you would hope that nobody would have to die in the process or get trampled by a horse, as happened to the suffragettes, so in true. the process of making your change. Mm. But What do you get raging about? Okay, so <laughs> so the thing that's ongoing just now, as I kind of talked to you about before, yes. is trade unions. A group of us have decided to start up a new trade union for people in our industry in Scotland. So there's about 13 or 14 of us, I think, at the last count, who are now on the steering committee for the new trade union. So we've got this, we've got a group, which I think I can go a bit public on now. It's called the First 500. And that is people being invited to be one of the first 500 members of a new trade union in Scotland. And the idea is that these first 500 members will be the pioneers, they'll wear their badges with pride. and that's all the sort of fancy performative highfalutin stuff but really it's about it's about getting the changes that we need for mm. people in our industry and when I say people in our industry we don't want to be just known as an actors union it is for stage managers it's for drama workers directors um, uh, variety artists it's choreographers yes. please join us you know yeah absolutely aerial artists it's, it's, mm. it's open to anybody that, that needs trade union representation yeah, yeah. in our business whether you're working in film television theatre whatever mm. so the name of our new trade union in Scotland for people in this industry is Cairn and this was a name it came to me one day when I was chanting actually I thought I wonder if that'd be a good name not probably wouldn't ah, and let it go and then Andy my partner maybe about a week later said how about they call it Cairn and I was like ah oh, right maybe maybe it is that and so he decided at that point to get in touch with pal of yours, Alistair Heather. Yes, and said, Bro Brave Pal. <laughs> absolutely. Who's a Bro and the Brave podcast was amazing. I loved his. Yeah, he was awesome. Um, he was. He said, he was like, yeah, here's here's my definition of Cairn. And he said it's about um, a bigger thing being created. I'm paraphrasing you, Alistair, sorry. Um, <laughs> a bigger thing being created by hunters or thousands of folk, each bringing a stain and pitting it in the pile. Um, Boom, done. Beautiful. That's, mm. I mean, you get the symbolism of that. It's totally. Exactly 100%. what it is. Um, and it's about each person and what their contribution is. And this trade union is going to be truly member-led. So already these first 500, of whom there's about 250 at the moment, I've contacted them. It's my job on the committee. I'm member liaison. Are you now? Yes, I am. So I contact everybody directly and ask them, what is it you're wanting from a union? What do you think that if you were a member of a previous trade union, what do you feel was lacking there? What would you like to see in this one? Everybody's voice is important. That's Mm -hmm. a Buddhist principle as well. Every single person's contribution is important. So we're we're beginning to shape what it is that we need, what's going to be different Mm -hmm. from where people might have been before. And also, yes, yeah, so we did some trade union training, a few of us. 
cool. Which was, yeah. In, in this mystic way where things just happen at the same time in the right time, <laughs> this online training came along. This woman, Jane McAlevey, she's this brilliant organiser in America. And so she would organise okay. these um, these meetings and we would go to them every Tuesday night on Zoom. And there was maybe about 3,000 people. And she talked about empowering the workers, how you work out who's an organiser and who's an activist, because they're very different skills. Mm -hmm. Who's got a good rapport with folk that can spread the word, but maybe isn't so good at doing the actual nuts and bolts, Mm. sitting down at the negotiating table. And she just kept talking about what every worker has in common. What every worker has in common is their need for dignity. And that's what you're always fighting for and struggling Mm -hmm. for, is folks' dignity in their work, to be allowed to fulfill their life's work yeah. <laughs> in, a, in a respected way. I would like for employers in Scotland to have the pride that our working conditions, let's just say it, are the best in the world. That, I mean, that's, that's what we would strive Aye. for. And so that everybody gets something from it. And Jane McAlevey at the training would, would talk about um, whenever she's got a big negotiation to do, at least one point in that negotiation, she brings in every single worker member of that union to come and sit in the negotiating room with her. And she's going, it's for them. That uh-huh. this is, it's Look at these people's them. faces. Exactly. This is their lives, this is their job, this is this is their dignity that's on the line. I mean, I'm already hearing the Deacon Blue, so it's almost... Is <laughs> <laughs> your theme tune just saying? <laughs> oh, that'll be the first dance when we do the launch. Get yourself a wee boat. Was, I, I really, I mean, God, I admire the Buddhism, but like, <laughs> I admire and the veganism too. But this is like next level because change, making change just seems too big. Is it like the whole climate change thing? Like, what can I do? Exactly. You know what I mean, yeah. and you're like, no, actually, you can. Yeah. And you've, you've proven that. We just knew we had to get our heads down and do it. And that was it. We go through this until we've come at the other end. And the reason it hasn't, uh, it's not completely established yet, is that we are. We don't want to do it incorrectly. Mm-hmm. So our trade union training it takes time, and yeah, yeah. Um, we're we're still negotiating our insurance deal at the moment. So you know all that sort of logistical stuff. But I think it's the absolute right thing to do, and it just feels it feels so light and so empowering and full of dignity and respect. So I'm doing it, and I feel really bad because I never remember who it was, but I was on a training last year on Zoom, one of the many things on Zoom, that's why I can't remember, and they mentioned that, that like, a true, you were talking about collaboration, and a true collaboration was when everybody's thumbprint was on the piece of work, and that's what that, that's what Karen sounds like to me, yeah. it is, like, everybody's bringing their stain, and everybody's stain, however big or, or small it is, is of equal importance. Absolutely. Yes, because the thing falls apart otherwise. Ah. Yeah. And I think that's just, I get the sense that it's just how you lead your whole life like you're just like an inclusive like person who wants wants other people's input and wants their collaboration like you're not in it for the glory of being a performer or being the director like the, the titles like I just get the impression you do stuff because you you obviously enjoy it but essentially you enjoy the company of others and you enjoy holding space for other people and and but that true collaboration like you're in it together you know the high hygiene at the top yeah directing everything like I mean, I think sometimes I do have that tendency to to, to think I know what the, the best idea is. Oh, that's fine um, too. Like, you're, you're paid to, to lead. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you're, you need to be somebody that's going, you've got five minutes. <laughs> yeah. But, do you know what I mean? And the, the people, people need people like that too. Mm-hmm. But essentially, you are somebody who gets energy from other 
people and their <sighs> ideas. That's a big lesson for me is that, is that thing of going, coming in, going, I think I know all the answers and I think I know what we need to do here and then just zipping it when somebody says a thing that you didn't expect that's better than your own idea and putting your ego to one side, which I've not always been good at, but we're learning. Every day we're learning. Yeah, we're doing yeah, our best. Yeah. And just and just saying that and just admitting that and I think that's the most like yes. liberating thing when you just admit fault or like, I don't know what I'm saying. Like, I think that can, for other people, can be such a just a, like shoulders down, like exhale, like thank God. Totally. She doesn't know what she's doing either. Great. <laughs> there are times when none of us, are, there's nobody in this room who's got a clue. I found that with my kids as well, actually, with my mm. daughter, that sometimes, you know, you're at loggerheads and get dressed and this and that and <laughs> get out the door. And at some point, she just go, do you know what, Frida, I've made a mistake. Let's just, let's just stop and do this instead. And like you've got any other time, you know, two wins and set up a change union. But is there anything else that you want to be doing or are going to be doing or what, mm. what's next? I would love to train to be a television director. That's what I would like the opportunity to do. So you're going to train me how to chant so I can chant for you for that. Oh, yes. <laughs> I think you definitely deserve, I deserve that. Thank you. You definitely deserve that for sure. <laughs> Thank you, I'm going, to, I'm going to learn the chant so I can see it just for you. <laughs> yes, that's how it starts. <laughs> I'm going to need to watch um, the Tina Turner. Yeah. Again. <laughs> I mean, I can't remember. I can't vouch for the quality of the, the production values or any of that, but I know that she learns to chant, isn't it? And she turned poison into medicine, didn't she? Because she had that terrible time with Ike Turner. She and did. So she went through in a tremendous amount of pain. Mm. And look at her now. Look at her now. <laughs> now, Kirsten, I do a thing called the hingamajigs. I'm aware of the hingamajigs, These yes. are random questions that I like to ask my guests. Right, okay. They started way back in the day when the podcast was a blog. So, mm-hmm. we select a few for you, my friend, if okay, you're obliged. Okay. Um... Who would play you in a film about your life? Oh, oh do you know who I would love it to be? <laughs> and this has just come to me. I'd love it to be Estelle Getty, who plays Sophia in The Golden Girls. Yes. <laughs> I just, I, yeah. I mean, and you didn't even have to pause. Like, you were right there. It just came to me. Maybe it's because we were watching The Golden Girls just now. But no, I think, I think it, yeah, it's Estelle Getty. Because it's, it's a hypothetical, anything's possible, isn't it? Of course. Yeah. Absolutely, 100%. Okay, yeah. Love that. <laughs> I'm glad I asked that. <laughs> um, what's the one story that somebody in your family or your friends retell about you time and time again? There's two. There, there's one that my friend David Snedden retells again and again and again. He's now one of my oldest pals. We met in sixth year at school. Um, the sc- it was a school trip to London right so we, we all went to London and we did various things it was a drama trip so we saw Greece nice one but it was balanced it might have been a drama and modern studies trip actually full disclosure my mum was my drama teacher at this point. yeah just for this one year wow because yeah. um, we didn't have drama in my school so I went to her school for six years did yes. drama met my pal David Snedden she was pals with people in the modern studies department so working my way back it looks like they've got together and gone we, we need to be tripped to London how can we <laughs> make this happen so I think it was modern studies as well then we'll say it's education yeah, so that's what teachers do <laughs> no mum I'm sorry it's not what teachers do <laughs> Um, so anyway although you can pay me to take a bunch of young people somewhere I'd be like I never shrink they were all pissed but the first night it was all <laughs> I don't know how they do it tins of coca-cola filled with <laughs> like cheap booze oh steaming anyway so I so one day we went to the houses of parliament 
And there was this woman, I think she might have been German actually. Anyway, she was European. She was really relishing telling us about all this opulence and all the reasons why there was statues here, there and everywhere. And then she took us into this big, massive room. Like, it was the size of a big, massive, huge, empty warehouse. And I can't even remember what the purpose of this room was. Okay. But by this time, I'd had enough of all the pomp and circumstance. <laughs> and I was like, see this room? I don't understand, and maybe you can explain this to me. Why is this room sitting here empty, massive as it is, when this town of London is full of homeless people? What are you going to do about that? And the woman, I mean, this, this is the angry Kirsten, right? So it was probably said in quite an angry tone as well. Fair enough. And this wee woman was just like, well, I mean, we couldn't possibly. I mean, the tradition and, you know, all the rest of it. Um, and apparently I harped on. I don't remember exactly. I in the zone. <laughs> totally, totally. The best descended. And uh, yes, yeah, that's right, yeah, the, the red blindness. Um, and my mum was just like, oh, for fuck's sake. And David Sneddon. Don't forget your mum's there. My mum's there, yeah, my mum's there. And my drama teacher. Um, and my pal David Sneddon, I think, was having a wee laugh to himself. But yeah, that's a story that David likes to uh, share. You're very on brand, though. I'm, I'm enjoying the fact that even in six years, you were like you were there already. It's quite on brand, yeah. There's well, that. Of course. Yeah. So that's, <laughs> so that's that one. That's a good story. Um, well, yeah, people should retell that story. And learn from that. <laughs> well, I don't open your mouth when you see injustice. Well, I don't know if that if that room in the Houses of Parliament has been converted into a homeless hostel yet. But I suspect it hasn't. But you never know. I mean, that's a seed planted. So. Well, listen. If you don't see it, then at least they, nobody's ever going to know. know otherwise, what what other change could be? There I'm very go. impressed by you. But my mum mortified. <laughs> Absolutely mortified. <laughs> of your exactly. Box. Shut up. <laughs> Yeah. She's a proud pain, I'm sure. <laughs> mm, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Where do you not mind waiting? Ooh. I don't mind waiting in airports if I'm on my own. Oh. I love... I don't know what it is. I love that it's just sort of solitude. I could look around the duty-free shop for hours. Don't even... Not even any fancy perfumes and that. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if it's, it's like the... All nationalities have come here yes. there's there's folk of all different cultures round about you taking my time with a book and a plate of chips and the winter spoons <laughs> you know yes. like just all these things that are suddenly given it's like a of, wee like um like a ceremony like a thing that you do when you're at the airport you don't really right, do yes. it anywhere else like but you just yeah I, I t- I'm there yeah it's a ritualistic thing yeah, yeah. and on that I like to go to the prayer room as well because if it's empty I can do a bit of chanting Oh, just go in. Do you know, it's, it's brilliant. Um, there was one I went into where it must have been Muslim prayer time. Mm-hmm. And the, obviously it's segregated, so the men's bits at the front, okay. they're all doing their serious prayer stuff. And I went into the back bit. And I was going to just chant really quietly. Mm-hmm. But actually back there, there's just this gathering of women. And they were all just having a wee sleep, just having a total lounge about, loving it. The husbands were all in, getting, yeah. it, <laughs> getting it the prayers. Yeah. And the women were just having like this blether together huh. um, and so instead of chanting I just got I just got into the blether the chat? Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it was brilliant and uh, uh, there was a woman who was a gynaecologist who I actually thinking back I think I had met her in a gynaecologist setting <laughs> <laughs> um, and because she loved well. she loved um, she loved quite near me and she worked in the practice that I had been to <laughs> yeah I've always wanted to just go in to see what they like get right in there's one at Silverburn Shopping Centre as well 
Of all places. Is there? Yes. That's good. That's great. That's nice to hear that. Yeah, I think it's purely capitalist, so don't don't go home for your prayers. Have you even got a bit to wash your feet if that's part of your practice? <laughs> yeah, no, right. oh. So just yeah. come in. Stay then. here. Stay here. And then go, but there's Marks and Spencer's the minute you come out. <laughs> See, that was me being totally like, just like, <laughs> I'm so innocent like that. That's really good, isn't it's it? Not <laughs> capitalism at its peak. So it is. For a terrible activist. <laughs> You're seeing the good in everybody, Lisa, and that is really important mm. in this world. <laughs> You'll not be asking me to join your game. <laughs> you're <laughs> Best gig you've ever been to? Without a doubt. Without a doubt, it's Dolly Parton. Oh, it's Dolly Parton. Dolly Can I tell you a story about this? Oh my god, yes. Oh, this is a pure Dolly story as well. So, my partner took me for my birthday. Um, <laughs> we're getting on the tube, we're getting on the <laughs> This is me when I was saying, oh, I hate recording remotely, and I'm like, well, you don't get ice cream vans. <laughs> I know. We're getting on the sides. Anyway, uh, right, I so when we arrived at the SECC, mm-hmm. there was a man outside and he had two tickets. It was for him and his wife, and the wife wasn't able to come. I think she was not well, but he was wanting to go and just give the ticket. And he said, either I'll give the ticket to one person and come in with me, or yeah. two tickets, whatever. So I texted my mum and was like, Mum, do you want to come meet and see Dolly Parton? She was like, I'll come in my jammies already. Her loss. Then get her jammies for Dolly. I know. Let's get on. Let's, let's not even, on. let's not even. But she was, she was keen to make sure that I recorded on my phone quote of many colours. <laughs> so anyways, this guy's touting his tickets. No takers. And we are like, listen, mate. I texted my mum. No, sorry, she can't come. I hope you get something. Mm-hmm. So we went in, enjoyed something like two and a half hours of Dolly oh, I mean I mean, she back is non-stop. Jeez, oh man. totally I mean she brought out her new stuff her bit more Christian vibe stuff yes. but that's okay we went with it we enjoyed the whole lot <laughs> yes. then at the end we're coming out um, and we saw the man that had been trying to get rid of his tickets mm-hmm. and he was with this other man a kind of a poor wee soul you would describe him as okay. um, and I was like oh that's great great you managed to get somebody to take your tickets and this man that was with him was like fucking yes <laughs> I've had the best night of my life. He's bought me a pint. He's bought me my dinner. Turned out what had happened was this man had strolled round about trying to find somebody. I know it's a beautiful. Find somebody to take the tickets. He found a homeless man who was sleeping in the street and he nudged him up and said, I've got this ticket for Dolly Parton. Do you want to come? And of course, the man came and he had the night of his life. That's just... That's it. That's that's it, isn't it? (laughs) That's beautiful. Yeah. And Dolly Parton. Dolly would have Dolly would have loved that. She would have loved it. She'd write a song about it. (laughs) Somebody used to tweet Dolly. I know. I I know. I always thought I'll write her a letter, but I never have. Maybe I'll write her. Maybe I'll write to Dolly. Write her. Yeah. I like this story. That's an excellent story. You've got a good story. Beautiful. They're just coming to me today. You're bringing. But then you just like this. I feel like this is you're the kind of person just. Attracts that, like you were supposed to be there and know about that and see that, that somehow. <laughs> yeah, totally. yeah. So I could tell it to my mum and she could get a greet as well, the same greet of she course. would have had if she came and in the totally. And then she wouldn't have felt bad about not getting out her jammies. Exactly. You know what I mean, she got the catharsis. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> and you'll know from listening to the podcast that my question to everyone is what is your favourite Scots word or phrase? Yeah, I think mine has to be bra. Does it now? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'll tell you why, just because of the sound of it, it's it's better than good, it's better than brilliant, it's raw, maybe because it's got raw in it, it feels like a rugged, yes. earthy, authentic version of good, 
And so I true. also love it because it's the Swedish word for good as well. And I like it is bra is very good in Swedish. And I love the fact that we have got these words in common with our Scandinavian cousins. This has just been a joy. Oh, I hope too. it has been for you and I hope mm-hmm. you've been able to see everything that you hoped. I know you'd made the wee list, which I was very impressed by. <laughs> I mean, that's when you're like, you're just coming on my podcast. You know you're just coming on my podcast and somebody else is like, actually knows what they're doing. But um, I hope you've had like a nice time, but I also hope you've been able to see what you wanted to see. Absolutely, Lisa. Thank you so much for having me. I have felt completely at ease. I feel like I've spraffed 19 to the dozen and you're going to have a job editing it. Not at all. But it's just, it's been a total joy and the absolute treasure of being on your podcast, I now know, is that you just give people space and love and support and well, that's, nothing that's but positive nothing. That's, 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 that's the bare minimum <laughs> well, I mean, we should be operating with we all should be but you're doing something very special that's very beautiful kind. That's love very it kind. loved it thank you so much now we can uh, tuck into the vegan biscuits and the strawberries let's do it sister I hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Bra and the Brave a podcast about people and their passions Join us next time for more insight and inspiration from my wonderful guests. Bye for now.